Hello, family. Welcome to Inner Guidance Daily, a podcast of daily inspiration to help you clear the clutter, the noise of our busy lives. I care about you connecting to your own inner guidance so you can begin to hear your own truths. I'm your host, Lauren Lee, certified meditation guide. Join as I connect with leading experts in various fields who have tuned into their own inner guidance successfully. How do they do it? Why does this work? You'll find out in the show. I'll drop in guided meditations weekly to help you along your journey. I am so glad you're here. Join me daily and connect to your inner guidance. Welcome friends to Inner Guidance Daily. I am with Ellie Lax, founder of The Gentle Barn, where she rehabilitates unwanted and mistreated animals, and she's invented her own gentle healing method that allows the old, the sick, the injured, the terrified animals to fully recover. This method uses a mixture of Western medicine, holistic healing modalities, holding therapy, and no shocker, lots of love. You may have seen her on shows like Ellen, Animal Planet, NBC, CBS, and she has saved thousands of animals and hosted over half a million guests at the Gentle Barn. Ellie, it's an honor to have you on the show and a very warm welcome to you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, thank you for taking the time. I wanted to take everybody back a little bit, so I'm going to take you back to 1999 when you created this beautiful heart-led place in the world called the Gentle Barn. What was your inspiration to begin? How did you start? Well, the Gentle Barn actually started a lot uh, earlier than that. It was actually my dream since I was seven years old. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know why even that I was so lucky, but I was able to really connect with animals in my childhood. We lived near lakes and woods. And it was always those animals that kind of ushered me through my childhood. And I always saw them as my friends, healers, and teachers. And the people around me did not. The people around me didn't connect to animals the way that I did. And I always noticed how different it was for me than my community. And so from the time I was seven, I would tell anyone that I would listen. I would say, when I grow up, I'm going to have a huge place full of animals, and I'm going to show the world how beautiful they are. So that always lived inside of me as I grew up and went through the awkwardness of a teenage phase, went through college, but I really didn't know the first step. I didn't know how to do it. So I procrastinated a long time. Um, And then, like you said, in 1999, I was living in a small house with a half acre backyard and I was doing an errand in the Los Angeles Valley. And I drove past a petting zoo that smelled very peculiar. It was packed and crowded with people and being very nosy when animals are concerned, I found myself pulling over and walking inside to see what was going on in there. And um, I was really shocked to find that the animals were really suffering in varying stages of neglect and abuse. But what was more shocking than the condition of the animals was that it was crowded with visitors that were smiling and taking pictures and posing their kids next to these dilapidated animals and none of them could see the suffering right in front of them. And that was the real shocker. And there it was again from my childhood. It was like I saw something so clearly that the people around me couldn't see. And it disturbed me greatly. So running for the door to get out of that petting zoo as fast as possible, um, I. I ran for the door, but a goat blocked the exit. And she was a very, very old goat, was extremely overgrown toenails, deformed legs, could barely walk, a matted, filthy coat, 
pleading sad eyes that looked into mine and asked me for help. Um, I have always been able to communicate with animals and to hear them when they speak to me. And in, her words couldn't be more clear. She said, please, will you help me? So unable to just leave her there and walk away knowing that she would surely die, I went and found the owner of the petting zoo and asked if I could have Mary the goat uh, doing her a favor, taking her off their hands, but she said no. And I said, look, I don't wanna leave her here to die. Can I pay for her? And she again said no. And so I said, well, I'm gonna have to stay here until you say yes. And I stayed wow. there for 12 days. No way. Yeah, and on the 13th day, she came and found me and she said, all right already, take the goat and get the heck out of here. Wow. And I brought Mary home to my little half acre backyard and I found a vet to come and remove her tumors and trim her overgrown toenails and teach me how to massage her deformed legs so she could walk again and how to feed her and care for her. And a few, several weeks later, she was just bouncing around my backyard as happy as can be. And it was the greatest feeling in the world. And I just realized it's time, it's time to live my dream. Wow. And so I, I went back to the petting zoo and started getting more animals. And before I knew it, my, my little half acre backyard was filled with animals in deplorable conditions. I nursed them back to health and I started living my dream. Oh my God. It's amazing. That is such a cool story. Also, because it's just so authentic, you know, it's like, it wasn't like, oh, you were just going to buy this property and then have all these animals. It was like the animals were speaking to you, like, come save us from this experience. It's incredible. And what I think so many people gravitate towards you, towards your work, towards the gentle barn is this capacity to open our hearts. It's like when we see these baby calves running around with a ball and their eyelashes and their little baby teeth and animals winning against all odds, we can't help but stop and feel connected to it. And I'm getting goosebumps as I'm talking about it. How can we start to understand and open our hearts, just like you are able to do this on a daily basis and really open our hearts to animals better. How have we misunderstood them? Well, I think that there has been a global shift away from nature and away from animals. Uh, we are, you know, we're concreting mother earth and we're chopping down the trees to build more homes. And there's this very, very global disconnect. And what's happening is not only is the planet suffering and animals enslaved, but we have lost the connection to ourselves, which is creating a lot of unhappiness in humanity. Um, so much suffering because we've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten why we've come. And now we're just lost in these lives that we never intended to live. And it's kind of really just a really a big mess. And so I think not only for animals, but for the planet and for ourselves, we really have to find our way back to the stillness, to the quiet, to the centeredness to find our way back to who we truly are. Because I think as children, we know who we are and we know why we've come. And then we get lost. You know, We get institutionalized in school. We're taught not to follow our impulses, but to sit down and listen to rules. We're taught to be a collective instead of an individual. Um, our own individual talents and light are not made to shine. Uh, as a matter of fact, we're made to suppress and repress our light and to be like everyone else. And it just turns into a big mess. By the time we hit high school, we've forgotten completely who we are. And so I think if all of us could remember who we were as children and what brought us joy, whether it's animals or sports or painting or singing or dancing, whoever we were as children, we need to go back to that and remember it and find that joy again. And little by little by little, we'll be reconnected to who we've always meant to be 
um, make time every day for meditation so we can find that still small voice inside of us that is here to guide us. And by opening up our own intuitions and finding ourselves, we can't help but simultaneously connect, reconnect with animals, reconnect with nature. And that's where everything can start to heal and mend uh, for this entire planet. So I think following that disconnect, um, we're brought up in these high tech, fast moving, very noisy and busy cities and we've lost our connection to nature. And in that disconnect, we've come up with the belief that we're separate, that they're not as smart as us, they're not the same as us. And then science studies them as if there's something there to study. Oh, wow, they really do have intelligence. And I'm like, well, duh. So <laughs> I think we have to like remember, yeah, we all look different. We have different lifestyles. We have different language, but oh my God, in our heart center, we are all the same. In fact, in our heart center, we are identical. And the soul in everyone is the same soul in each of us. And so that's what we try to do at the Gentle Barn is portray our animals and show their intelligence and their affection and their playfulness and their sense of humor and their grouchiness, even if they're older and grouchy. And we try to portray them so that people can start to see like, wow, they're just like my dog. Wow, they're just like my kid. We're all the same. And once we acknowledge that we're all the same, we can find our way back to each other. Yeah, so beautifully said. And I think for the listeners, what's so important for them to understand is you're not just talking about like your own personal experience or maybe like your friends and family, but you have serviced half a million people at the gen gentle barn. And I think that it's worth noting and talking about, you know, some of these concepts that you're talking about as people understanding that we're all one and um, that we are having this, you know, this soulful experience and that we can all connect with our hearts is that you've been really able to help people recover from or help people who are in recovery from drugs and alcohol or victims of domestic violence or, you know, people who have been kind of forgotten of the world or mistreated and at risk. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about like that synergy between people coming to the gentle barn and seeing animals who have also been mistreated and, and, and what they're, what they're showing individuals who are coming and, and maybe how people feel when they're leaving. Yes, absolutely. I've had a lot of trauma in my own childhood and it was always animals that were there for me, always. Um, I remember being three years old and feeling lonely, but sitting on a grassy hill and wild bunnies came and hopped around me. I remember always feeling surrounded by love because of the birds. Um, I would go and explore in the woods and hold salamanders and find turtles and ducks and my best friend was my dog and we would go on adventures together. And no matter what was happening, I always had their shoulder to cry on. I always had their eyes looking back at me with unconditional love, like I had value. And they really kept me on this planet um, during times that I did not want to be here. Um, and so I have a very strong firsthand experience that animals are healers. They're really our angels and our teachers, and they're here to give us the opportunity to be better and do better. Um, and so from the original design of the gentle barn, since I was seven, I had this image of, yes, I wanna rescue and resuscitate animals, but then I wanna partner with them to heal people with the same stories of trauma. So like you said, we have these broken lost people coming into the gentle barn. And I think the reason why it works so well is because people have been hurt by people. So they go into traditional therapeutic sessions and they 
first of all, don't want to be vulnerable or open. They don't want to talk about what's happened to them and they don't want to open up and trust another human being. So traditional therapy doesn't help all people. Um, but the people that traditional therapy doesn't mend, they can come into the gentle barn and they don't have to say a word. They don't have to be open. They don't have to be vulnerable. They don't have to share with me what's happened to them, but I'm sharing with them what's happened to the animals. And when I'm telling the animal's story, I'm telling their story. And oh I gosh. think something magical happens when they hear their story told through another, they realize they're not the only one. Yeah. And they can see that animal that now has friends and has a family and has safety and is happy. And it serves as a role model to them to know that that can be them if they just open up a little. Um, and they, they bond with these animals. They're inspired by these animals and these animals really help them heal and find themselves in the barnyard. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. It really is. And it's so inspiring too. I, I was so curious to know, I have to know, like after th saving thousands of animals and being around this all the time and all the people and the hearts that you've connected with, what is the greatest lesson? It's a big question. What's the greatest lesson you've been able to walk away with from, from your experience with the gentle barn? I love that question. And I think that I want to say the greatest lesson that every single animal has taught me since the beginning of this adventure is to trust myself. Um, and to know who I am. And, and, and there's hundreds of stories that I can tell, but I'll tell you one story. There was this goat named Divine. I named her divine. She was this beautiful white coat with a long white beard and big golden eyes. And she was absolutely sensational. And we rescued her from an abuse situation, a, a horrendous abuse situation. She came into the gentle barn, very skinny, very sick, very traumatized. It took a lot of effort to breathe the life back into her and to get her to gain weight, but we finally did it. And several months later, she was nice and round and her coat was shiny white. Her eyes were aglow with new hope and new friendships. And she trotted around the barnyard and she was just so happy. <clears throat> well, years later, um, we're not exactly sure why, but years later, something happened to her that she couldn't walk. But you know, she didn't care. She was laying there, she would eat treats. Her face would light up when visitors and children came to see her. She felt of service. She felt comfortable and not in pain. She had a healthy appetite. We put a sweater on her and she was so happy and she just wanted to continue her life. Well, we had a veterinarian come out and see her to figure out why she's not walking and what's going on. And the veterinarian said that she needed some medication and that we needed to bring her to the hospital. And for whatever reason, I can't explain this, but for whatever reason, I just felt dread. I felt like we should not bring her to the hospital. She is happy here, leave her here. So I kind of procrastinated and didn't bring her to the hospital. Well, the next time the vet was out, she got quite upset with me and said, look, you know, you have to bring her to the hospital. And I tried to explain to her, like, I just have this feeling of dread. I have this horrible, horrible feeling about it. And I've asked Divine what she wants and Divine doesn't want to walk. She just wants to continue her life here. She's not in pain. She's not uncomfortable. And she wants to be of service. She wants to continue with us. And the vet wasn't very impressed with all this. And she just kept saying and demanding that I bring her. So I ignored my instincts and I ignored this horrendous feeling of dread. And I put her in the car and I drove her to the vet and I left her there for treatment. 
And whatever that vet did killed her within six hours. Within six hours, she had passed away. And I just remember laying on the floor, sobbing because I knew and I didn't listen. And I think we as humans do that all the time. We have little nagging feelings all day long because that's the still small voice inside of us that's our compass. And we've been conditioned not to listen to it and it gets us into bad relationships. It gets us into bad jobs. It gets us into dangerous situations physically sometimes. And I just remember that day saying, this will never happen again. I am always, always going to listen to myself. And I actually made a little heart-shaped red dog tag imprinted with the words divine um, that anytime I lose my confidence or I'm having a hard time, um, I, I wear it. Um, and I wear it around my neck to remind myself to always, always, always listen to my instincts and to never have that happen again. So I've had a lot of lessons like that where um, you know vets will say, oh, you know, that cat's pregnant, but she's not gonna give birth around you. She's gonna wait until you're gone and she's gonna hide under the bed and she's not gonna want you there. And it turns out the cat like wants me there and you know, I'm trying to give her space and she's going, no, I need to be with you. And I have to move the cat and her kittens into the middle of my bed because she wants me to be with her. Um, you know, vet saying, I had the opposite happen. I had a horse that was colicking, which means um, something was wrong with his stomach, but he was in violent agony. And he laid down and he said, please let me go. Please let me go. And the vets are kicking him and pulling him and trying to get him up to take him into surgery. And I told the vets like, I don't think he wants to go have surgery. I think he wants to be laid to rest. And the vets are like, are you crazy? You can't give up. We have to get him into surgery. And they like, they just, they wouldn't relent and they got him into surgery. And, and he had this horrible 10 day recovery afterwards and ended up passing away. And I'm like, I should have listened to him. So, you know, 21 years, of being at the gentle barn, thousands of animals connecting with me intuitively and me doubting or listening to an expert instead of myself or the animal. And I think that is the greatest lesson. And now 21 years later, I'm gonna listen to the animal every time. I'm never gonna doubt my instincts. I am never gonna doubt my intuition. I am present in my body and I'm gonna to listen to the animals before listening to anyone else. And I had to learn that the hard way, but I am finally here. I mean, that is the greatest lesson. I think we're all on the same journey, right? This trust. Are you going to trust yourself at the end of the day? And I think ultimately our lives come down to that. And, and, I, and we're both practitioners of meditation. And I wanted to know how, how would you, you know, how would you tell somebody to connect with that still voice within that inner counsel, that inner guidance, so that you can begin to strengthen that muscle of getting more and more confident and connecting with it? Is it meditation for you? Is it just repetition? You know, what is the good advice to be being able to connect to your inner guidance? It's a hundred percent meditation. Um, and it's not easy, right? Because we live in a very fast paced, high tech world where there's information coming from all sides and we have lost the ability as a society to just sit in the still, in the stillness. But what's amazing is if you look at any of the animals in our barnyard, and we have you know 15 species, if you look at any of them, 
you'll find that they all meditate. The cows have breakfast every morning. Then they sit around in a big group and lick each other to um, massage each other and connect. And then the matriarch will lead a group meditation every single morning at 11 o'clock. Um, the sheep and goats do the same. Cats sleep most of the time. And I don't think most of it is sleeping. I think they're meditating. All animals know the importance of sitting in the stillness and the quiet and remembering who we are, remembering where we've come from and remembering where ultimately we're all gonna go once we're done with this flesh. The only species that seems to be grossly forgetting what we need to do to stay happy and joyous is us as humans um, that we no longer do that. And if you look at indigenous cultures and tribal cultures, I mean, it was a way of life. So I think that is the greatest thing that we can do to bring ourselves back to not only ourselves and our own intuition, but to joy and to peace and to happiness. Um, and when I started meditating many, many, many decades ago, um, it was hard, you know, because the monkey chatter, right? And it was hard to sit still and I was fidgety and but I love that you called it a muscle because it really is. Like if I were to go to the gym today, I'm gonna hate it, it's gonna hurt, I'm gonna be sore afterwards. I'd much rather go to the restaurant next door and have lunch. <laughs> but if I go regularly, I can build those muscles to the point where once it becomes a constant in my life, my muscles are not sore, I'm not debilitated the next day and I actually start craving it, right? So the meditation muscle is the same. Yes, in the beginning, there's monkey chatter and it's hard to sit still, but there's so many different kinds of meditation. You know, we can listen to music and just follow the rhythm or the chimes. We can follow our breath and sit in stillness, but just follow our breath. We can do guided meditation so we can focus on someone else's voice guiding us. But there's many different ways of meditation and we can find the one that we respond to so that it sets us up for success. And the other thing that I like to offer people is it doesn't have to be such a big deal. Like you don't have to go and spend hundreds of dollars on candles and incense and meditation chairs and a special thing to wear and, you know, spend 45 minutes doing it. It doesn't have to be so hard. As a matter of fact, the easier it is, the more sustainable it is. So, you know, sit anywhere and you don't have to chew off 45 minutes in the beginning. It could be just a five minute meditation just five minutes to connect with your breath or to sit in a stillness or to calm you down and center you for the rest of your day. And like I said, there's so many different kinds of meditation on YouTube or that people can find. Um, but you know, even five minutes every day, you condition that muscle. And before you know it, you'll start craving more and more and more. And while several decades ago, when I first started meditating, I would spend the whole five minutes going, oh my God, is it over yet? Is it over yet? Is it over yet? <laughs> now, um, I can't start my day without it. I crave it. I can't wait for it. It makes me feel better. It makes my relationships better. My ideas flow through me louder. Um, it helps me heal animals better. It helps me have more compassion for people that I'm working with. It absolutely 100% makes me more effective in what I do every single day. And there is, I don't have a day without it anymore. You are preaching. I love it. <laughs> <laughs>
I, I mean, I, I obviously agree so much. I mean, I've dedicated my life to meditation and teaching people meditation. And I love the idea of you saying like, it's not a big deal, you know, like, I think a lot of people are, um, intimidated by it. It feels like it's something for other people. And I remember feeling like that too. I remember feeling not like I could do this and I could participate in it, let alone teach it. Um, and so I'm curious how you got introduced to it. Um, I was so young and I just had this calling in me to want to do really important things on this planet. Um, as a matter of fact, I had had a near-death experience um, when I gave birth to my son. Um, the ep I had to have an emergency C-section and the epidural somehow made it so I couldn't breathe. But everybody was concentrating on getting my son out of me that they weren't watching me. And I couldn't breathe and I passed out and I, and I had this near-death experience where I was offered to go home. Um, and I actually chose to stay. And since I made that choice, I had this sense of urgency, like, okay, I'm choosing this. And so therefore I want to, I want to do great things and I want to be really effective. And I want to do as much as I possibly can during this lifetime. And I really want to get it right. And so I just had this sense of urgency, like, okay, I want to take my childhood and I want to get it out of my way. I want to take the crap I'm holding on to and I want to get it out of my way. Whatever lessons I have to learn, I want to learn them and get them out of my way. I want to be clear and open and healed and ready to do the best work that I possibly can to service others. And wow. so I found a place near me that taught meditation and I just kept calling for more teachers to come and let me be the best version of me that could happen. Yeah. So that's how I found meditation. Oh, that's amazing. Wow. What an incredible experience. Do you not, you know, not everybody has like a, a true near death experience where you then have a memory of choosing to stay. Can you share a little bit about the experience if you're open to that? Yes. Um, and I've read books since of lots of other people that have had the same experiences. And I didn't like see angels or hear voices or anything. It wasn't that for me. For me, I was just bathed in light. But it's the feeling that I hold on to. And it's the feeling that I actually try to recall in my meditation sometimes. It is so beautiful. All I felt was unconditional love and warmth. I felt like I was perfect. I felt like all my little like, oh, you're too fat, you're too thin, you're too old. Like all of that stuff just melted away. And I just felt whole and loved and beautiful and peaceful. And then there was like, well, you can, you can stay or you can go. What do you want to do? And I kind of reviewed it in my mind, like, God, you know, there were times in my early childhood where I really didn't want to be here. Like, now's my chance. Like, I can get out of here. Maybe I should. But then I was like, but my son, like, I, I'm giving birth to my son. I want to know him. I want to be with him. And I had all these dreams when I was a kid, and I haven't accomplished any of them. I want to do something. And so I'm like, no, I want to, I want to come back. And then they resuscitated me, and I, I got to raise my son. And I got to start the gentle barn and I have many more dreams I have yet to want to fulfill. And here you are. Amazing. So cool. Thank you for sharing all, all that with us. I know it's a very intimate detail to share with everybody. So I really appreciate that. And I want to switch gears just a little bit because I had to talk to you about this, but I really feel like I talk to my dog, like he's a human, you know, like I talk to him and 
I feel like he understands me. And then I feel like I understand him with his stares, like, or his stance or his energy or, you know, just he's, but it's all nonverbal. So do you think we can, we can communicate with animals? Like, does he understand me? Do they, do we, do we do this with each other? Do we actually communicate? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So again, if we go back to the animal world and we go back to who we were as Aboriginal or native people, we all communicated through telepathy and intuition and it was totally normal. We taught our kids, we converged with animals and nature. We were all one and it was totally normal. And then again, we entered this high tech society through the industrial revolution. We have lost our connection to animals, to nature and to ourselves. And now we are so in our head with language and with science that we have forgotten our intuition. Um, but it's still there, whether we acknowledge it or not, or whether we know it's there or not, it's still there for all of us. Um, animals are always talking to us and we are always receiving their pictures and images in our minds, whether we know it or not. So I remember being six years old and I was playing with my dollies in my room and doing my thing. And all of a sudden I heard this cry for help. And I'm like, oh, well, here I come. And I set down my dollies and I walked out of my room and through the house and out the front door and down the street. And I took a left at this hill and a right um, on the embankment of the river. And I came down to this tree that I saw in my mind and there was a baby bird that fell out of her nest. And I'm like, here I am. Thank you so much for calling me. I'll help you. The tree was way too tall to put her back in the nest. So I picked her up and I brought her home. I made a little nest out of mud and grass. I got little things to feed her and I raised her till she could fly away. And I thought everyone did that. I thought that was totally normal to be able to hear animals talk to us. Wow. Um, I've been professionally training dogs in my neighborhood since I was 11 because I could talk better dog than human. and. The, people, the families around me saw that that was so. And so they would say like, hey, can you get my dog to do this? Or hey, can you train my dog to do this? And so I've been training animals since I was 11. And I literally thought that that was normal for all of us. And then I hit high school and started getting kind of teased and bullied and realized, wow, it's not everybody. Um, but it is everyone on a subliminal level. They could, they could tease me all they want, but the truth is that in their homes, when their dog wants food, they're getting images that they're not acknowledging. So yes, when you're talking to your dog, you're not only putting out the energy of what you're saying, but you're holding images in your mind of those words and pictures that he or she is receiving. And then they're giving you images back. So, you know, sometimes you'll sit on the couch and do something and all of a sudden you'll get like this inspired thought like, oh, I'm gonna go give him a bone. Well, meanwhile, for the last five minutes, he's been giving you a picture of that bone. <laughs> I love that, I love that, yeah. So I think that we are all intuitive. Um, I think that we, that our animals talk to us all the time. And since I was teased as a kid, I kind of shut the door to that connection because I wanted to be normal. But then that led me down a very bad, wrong path that almost ended my life. And I realized to really live, I need to embrace who I am and embrace my gifts. And now I found my way back to those gifts so much so that now I'm actually a professional animal communicator. And mm. um, I work with an animal communicator school. Her name is Joan Rankwit. 
um, communication with All Life University, where she has a certification program to teach people how to communicate with animals. Oh, how cool. Um, and I, I absolutely believe that we all are doing it and can do it on a more conscious level. If yes. Yes, yes, yes. Can I tell a funny story? My dog during quarantine, like when we were really like locked down, nobody could leave. We're here in Boise. Um, he, he took it upon himself to teach himself how to go into the pantry and like, you know, push the door open and start getting treats and, and take the whole bag and, and bring it into the room wherever we are and just be like, now, <laughs> you know, like he's not wait, waiting anymore. <laughs> He's not waiting for the subliminal message. He's like, I need treats. <laughs> oh, he's so smart. He really is. He's very emotional and very like, uh, he's seen so much. I feel like he's like the secret keeper, you know, like he just knows everything and he's very um, emotional. He's very emotional. Wow. Yeah. So I think it's cool. And thank you for uh validating that we can communicate. I see people all the time t talking to their dogs and having this two-way conversation. And, you know, in my mind, like I love intuition. I love inner guidance. I've dedicated this whole podcast to it. And I love to see people doing it without even knowing that they're doing it. You know, just kind of what you were talking about, like where unfortunately you were bullied for something that everybody's doing. That is very normal. I think it's so cool that you're participating in this school and then giving people additional resources to be able to communicate with animals like you do. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. So another question that I was dying to ask you, and, and again, it's such a treat to have you here. I think your work is phenomenal and you're just such a beautiful light in the world. Um, so let's say somebody wanted to open their own gentle barn. Um, you know, and is curious about animal sanctuaries or, you know, helping animals. Like that's a calling that they have. There probably are people listening to this conversation right now thinking, I kind of want to do that. Where would you guide them? How would we, how would that person start or what would be the best starting point? I have three pieces of advice. The first is to spend time in meditation, visualization, even asking questions before you go to bed to get the answers to figure out exactly how you want your sanctuary to look because there's 10 million ways a sanctuary can look. You can have two chickens that you bring into schools and teach children kindness, that's a sanctuary. You can rescue old dogs that no one else wants and just have a small group of old dogs in your home that you rehabilitate and give a quality end of life care to. Uh, or you can have something like the gentle barn where we have 200 animals in three locations. Um, you could be open to the public or closed in private. Um, you can have volunteers or do all the work yourself. Um, there is a million ways that a sanctuary can look like. And so I think step one is to get super, super clear on what your calling is and what your vision is and what will serve you, what, what idea is coming through you. And so, you know, that's soul searching, that's meditation, that's visualization, that's asking before you go to bed, hey, what should my sanctuary look like? What tools do I need? and then going to sleep and getting the answers in your dreams. Um, once you have the answers and you know exactly what your sanctuary is gonna look like, feel like, smell like, how big it's gonna be, what property is gonna be, what kind of animals you're gonna rescue, once you have all those answers. The second piece of advice I have is to get really comfortable with receiving. Um, that's another wonderful lesson that I've learned through the Gentle Barn is that in the early years, you know, people that I knew would see what I was doing and come over and like try to give me 
checks and money. And I'd be like, oh God, I can't take money from you. No, no, no. And it wasn't until I met my husband, Jay, and we started running the general barn together where he would come over and he would be like, all you have to do is say, thank you. You receive and you say, thank you. <laughs> and it was very, very uncomfortable for me. But working with my husband, Jay, I learned to receive. And I think the reason why that's so important is because as healers and caregivers, we typically want to give, but we're not very good at receiving. And how are you going to have 200 animals and pay your staff and feed them and pay for vet care and save their lives and have the resources to really give them the lives they deserve if you can't receive on, the, on their behalf? So if you want to run a sanctuary, you have to be comfortable receiving on their behalf so that you could do a good job. Yeah, that's such good advice. I, I find also it's very common in, in any service work, which I'm sure, you know, you've experienced too, which is um, when you're, when you're of service, it feels funny to receive money for what you're doing, especially when it's just like this heart centered. Um, it's just what you want to do. So I understand that feeling too. And that's incredible advice no matter what you decide to do and that is of service to the world is being able to receive, receive those gifts that people want to give you. Um, I wonder if sometimes the abuse of animals and the mistreatment, you know, sometimes when you go down that rabbit hole, I'm sure people have done a Google search or seen a documentary of some sort where it's teaching you how mistreated animals are, especially in the food industry and I'm wondering sometimes, does it feel overwhelming to you? Do you feel like we're moving in the momentum of we're making it better for animals or is it still feel so, so heavy? Um, I'll tell you what, very early on at the gentle barn, I had heard enough traumatic stories to kind of feel the darkness of mankind and the suffering of animals. And I, and I remember like in the first year of the gentle barn wanting to quit and wanting to say like, I am not strong enough. This is not for me. I made a mistake. I thought this was going to be great. This is not great. I don't want this. This is going to destroy me. And I remember kind of fighting with spirit or myself or whoever, but just having this fight. And finally, at the end of a month, I realized, okay, fine. This is why I'm here. It's my dream since I was seven. Okay, this is, this is what I have to do. But how am I going to survive this? And this is going to destroy me. And I made a pledge at that moment to be more diligent on where I put my focus. Because look it, I think that if we're searching for goodness, we're going to find it. And if we're searching for darkness, we're going to find it. There's enough proof out there to sustain any of our beliefs. So why would I put my focus on the news, on the darkness, on the trauma, on the fear, on the pain, on the suffering, if it's just going to cause my own suffering, when I can put my focus on the light, the progress, the victories, the healing, the beautiful people of service on this planet, the incredible teaching angel ambassadors that are here to make us better human beings. I can put my focus on that and it'll motivate me and it'll inspire me and it'll strengthen me and it'll uplift me and it'll move me forward. So um, it's been almost 20 years. I don't watch the news. I don't listen to the radio. I don't have close personal friends that are negative or, or coming from lack. Um, I am seeking 
spiritual, meditating, open, intuitive, loving, purpose-driven, abundant thinking friends to have on my inner circle. Um, I keep my eye on other people that are doing really good work and share the hope in social media. Um, I deliver my message gently and then I lose the attachment to the outcome. So I don't feel bitter or I don't feel pressured and I don't feel impatient. And I celebrate the small victories um, within every single movement, whether it's the suffragette movement, the civil rights movement, the LGBTQ movement, or the animal rights movement. When you look, when you're inside of a movement, it can feel like moving like a glacier, right? It's so painfully slow and you're staring at the problem all the time and you feel like we're getting nowhere. But the truth is, if you look back in history, every movement evolves. You know, if you're in the middle of the civil rights movement, it feels like it's not happening and nothing's going right. But then if you look from where we are now to where we've come, we've made a lot of strides. And so within the animal rights movement, there's a lot of victories. There's a lot of people waking up. There's a lot of laws being passed. There's a lot of wonderful restaurants opening that's serving gentle foods. There's a lot of companies being um, started that serve gentle foods. There's a lot of awareness. There's a lot of adults changing, whether it's for health or environment, it doesn't really matter. There's a lot of children coming onto this planet with an already inherent knowing of what love is. And I celebrate those victories every single day. And I keep my eye on the victory and on the hope and on the peace and on the love. And that's where I live. Yeah. And so I can continue because I think that if it was the opposite and I kept my eye on the problem, I'm going to lay on the floor in a fetal position and want to get off this planet. And that's not going to serve anyone. Yeah. It, Cause it is, it is a lot, you know, and, and, and I, um, you know, Jack Cornfield, the meditation yeah. teacher. Yeah. Um, I was just listening to him chat with Marion Williamson, who I'm sure, you know, as well. And he was expressing that meditation is this, yes, it makes you feel good. And yes, you connect with your, your inner voice, your inner landscape. And as you adjust that your outer world begins to change as well. When he said something that I really like, I was like, Whoa, I never heard that before, but it makes so much sense, but it it's building your tolerance. And he was expressing that meditation is an ability to build your tolerance so that you can see the pain that exists in the world, but you have this inner tolerance of being able to, like you said, point your direction um, into the light, into the love, into the harmony that does exist. You have built inner tolerance to be able to hand with hand, you know, withstand what's happening in the world. That's, that's not great, but guide your, guide your perspective to those victories and, and, and love. Yeah. I love that. I love yeah. that. You know, I think of a tree, right? So a tree that has very deep roots, it can withstand tremendous wind, but it stays erect. Yeah. Whereas a tree with uh, not many roots at all, it will blow over in a big storm. Yeah. And, and I feel it like that, like what roots us, what grounds us? Is it meditation? Is it doing what we love? Is it staying positive? Is it prayer? What roots us so that when the wind blows, we stay strong? Yeah, that's beautiful. Love that. Ellie, I, I just want to say there are places in the world that, especially right now, that feels so dark, you know, and, and it's an honor to spend time with somebody that is focused on the light and is lighting up the world in so many ways. And it's not about dark versus light sometimes. It's more about the absence of darkness 
And as MLK said, which is a favorite quote of yours that you shared with me, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hatred cannot drive out hatred. Only love can do that. And you truly are living this mantra every single day. Thank you for opening your heart with us. Thank you for letting us to peek inside your world today and for being here. Please check out The Gentle Barn, sponsor an animal, follow Ellie's work. Ellie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for what you do as well and for having me. Thank you. Thank you, friends, so much for joining Inner Guidance Daily Podcast. Stay connected with me on Instagram at innerrebel.co. Feel free to leave a review on iTunes for this show. Each review helps shape the podcast and reach more people. In service, gratitude, respect, and love, thank you for being here, and I'll see you on the next episode. Join daily, connect to your inner guidance.